You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chumpacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chumpacasino.com welcome to the family no purchase necessary vgw group void where prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply Curtain up, theater people, and welcome to Your Program is Your Ticket, coming to you from the Hell's Kitchen area of Midtown Manhattan, right in the middle of Broadway. My name is Sean Chandler, and I'll be your host. Your Program is Your Ticket is a discussion of smaller theater works and the people and organizations that make it happen. As many of you may know, and some of you may not, so let me explain it to you. Your Program is Your Ticket is a helpful system where your program is literally your ticket to get into the theater in smaller, more intimate productions. It's these works we like to highlight, and it's our goal on this show to feature as many of these productions as possible while still discussing the biggies. I love theater, and I see as much as I can wherever I go. During the travels of the production of my husband and my play, At the Flash, I've met many wonderful people from all over the world in the theater community, and it is my honor to bring them on as guests to the show. Tonight's guest is President and Executive Director of Chicago's Underscore Theater Company, an ensemble of artists dedicated to creating new, original musical theater in Chicago, the multi-talented Laura Stratford. And guess what, you guys? It's her birthday today. Isn't that nice that she's actually giving us the gift of an interview on her birthday? That's so generous of her. I'll be bringing Laura on in a few minutes, but first I'd like to discuss something I'm thinking that she could probably relate to, the task of running a theater company that produces only new works. A lot of risk in that, but hey, it's... Sometimes risk pays off beautifully. Most of the time it does, actually. I found a great article from Playbill.com entitled How to Run a Theater Company That Only Produces New Works, and it's by a writer named Olivia Clement, who does a lot of articles on Playbill.com. She interviewed Roberta Pereira, who is the producing director at the Playwrights Realm. It's a theater company that's now in its 10th anniversary season. Uh, Most recently... uh, she did the Pulitzer Prize nominated The Wolves. Now, this just recently got nominated for a Pulitzer this last week about a girls' soccer team. Um, and, and it was always sold out. I could never get a ticket to the show. So I'm hoping it goes to Broadway where it's a longer run in a bigger theater. And um, I think that would be great because everyone who saw it said it totally, totally rocked. And it went on, put, went on all kinds of top ten lists. Um, so um, I'll cross my fingers for that. Um, they are an off-Broadway theater. They do, um, they're devoted to early career playwrights and new works. Um, and, and she discusses, Prayer discusses how playwrights' realm stays afloat. And they do it by mediating risk. Um, they set conservative and realistic financial projections where they assume that a small amount of the income is actually going to come from ticket sales. So they go into their season with the assumption that most of their money will come from fundraising. So they just sort of set themselves up to have 
low ticket sales and and put most of their budget and their income into fundraising. And and if the wolves is any indication that I don't think they're going to have a lot of trouble. Um, when they find their new talent, they have an open submission process. Now, last year, 377 scripts were submitted. And the selected scripts that they choose to develop are, are, are developed over nine months with the theater company, which is great when you have that, that type of support. Um, and then they're performed in what's called their INK, I-N-K apostrophe D festival. And that festival is going on this month from April 17th to April 20th. So I'm really excited. I'm going to try and go see as much as I possibly can. Um, the team also attends readings and festivals of, of other people's readings and festivals to uncover new works and artists, which is great. Uh, they focus on diversity as much as possible. And there's an interesting note. Um, they actually shy away from subscription theater to generate diversity in the audience. Uh, Pereira is quoted as saying, you might have subscribers who are a certain profile of people, and that means nobody else is seeing your shows. So how is that diversifying your audience? Because we're focused on playwrights, not plays, our productions tend to be very different. And I want to make sure we leave space for the specific audiences that might be interested. Now, that's actually a, a pretty good strategy, in my opinion, um, because of the fact that, I, I don't know, sometimes I think with subscriber bases, you have a, a very, um, I don't know, you, you kind of, well, my, my opinion is that there is, there is the chance that you could sort of uh, pigeonhole or just sort of have, have a broad, not a broad base, but a very specific base of people who come to the shows and you sell out with all of that. And then the various audiences who would be attracted to that play itself maybe don't get the chance to see it. Now, obviously, that didn't happen with Wolves because Wolves, everybody wanted to see it. So anyways, um, it's, it's, it's interesting because a lot of theater companies also get most of their money from their subscriber base. So I just thought that that was interesting to, to bring up. Uh, it's a great read, and again, you could find it on Playbill.com. And visit the Playwrights Realm website at uh, www.playwrightsrealm.org to learn more about their organization and their upcoming Ink Festival. Okay, folks, now I'd like to bring on our guest. She, as I said before, is the multi-talented president and executive director of Chicago's underscore theater company, Laura Stratford. Hi, Laura, and welcome to your program and your ticket. Hi, Sean. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, thank you. And as I said, it's your, it's your birthday today, so happy birthday. And thank you for doing the show on your birthday. Thank you very much. Uh, Thanks for having me. It's <laughs> exciting for me to do it. Cool. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself that I, already, that I haven't already talked about, or, or if you'd like to expand upon that, that's totally fine, and your creative theater passion. Absolutely. So um, I am, as you mentioned, a co-founder and the executive director of Underscore Theater Company, and we have been producing in Chicago for five and a half years now. Um, we were co-founded by, as tends to be the norm, a group of friends from college. We actually started writing and producing new musicals um, my senior year of college. Mm -hmm. So before we were out in the professional world and got our first taste of what it takes to produce in markets where you don't have a bunch of friends and family members a uh, year after that, when we had a 60 minute new musical get produced at a fringe tour, the Midwest fringe tour 
So we ended up producing a show in Kansas City, Indianapolis, Minneapolis, and Chicago, which was a really great crash course in producing, especially because nobody in our company had been in much less developed uh, relationships in Kansas City or Indianapolis. Uh And after that, we ended up incorporating officially in 2011 here in Chicago and have been off to the races ever since. So we are a producing company, and our ensemble includes directors, sound designers, actors, musicians, writers, composers, directors. So um, we have produced work by ensemble members, and we also produce work that we find throughout the country that has been either workshopped elsewhere or that really germinates here in Chicago. And what we really aim to do is to make Chicago an exporter as well as an importer of musical theater. Wow, that's terrific. That's that's quite a mission statement. Yeah. Um, we Chicago has a reputation as being a place where Broadway tries things out mm-hmm. or where we get things from New York once they have had a successful run there. Mm-hmm. And we are aware of this community of musical theater creators here that I think rivals what you see in New York. And one of the great things about Chicago is the costs are not so prohibitively high to produce. So it is more accessible for people who are in the emerging part of their career as musical theater creators. And it's a tough world to be a part of because whatever there is that you need to take into account as a playwright, let's say, you have that many more moving pieces when you are a writer or composer of musical theater because you are dealing with the structure of the book as well as the music and lyrics and potentially choreography. And there's just so many moving parts to making a new musical happen and be successful that um, we really wanted to support writers and composers in their journey to see their pieces come to life. And I know that it makes our jobs more challenging because we also have to grapple with all those different elements, but it's that much more successful and exciting when it works out. Oh, definitely. There is far more, there's a lot of, of alchemy going on in, in just a straight play, but there's like a hundred times more in a musical. Yeah. And I actually have been working as a librettist with some of my, collaborators and other staff members of underscore and the librettist in a musical is the invisible role. You know, Mm -hmm. we not only do the dialogue, but also really help structure the whole thing and determine when the songs come. And it's the kind of thing where if the book is good, you don't notice it. If the book is bad, everybody notices it. Right. So, uh, I signed myself up for a challenging role there, but Uh. it's really exciting when, all of the pieces do fit into place and you are allowed, you're allowing the vehicle for the songs and the music to really shine. Oh, totally. I hear you. I myself am a book writer. And, um, I think that they say that if, if it's a, if the musical is a success, the book writer hears nothing, but if it's a flop, the book writer is blamed for everything. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> or there's always the, uh, the book fell apart in the second act. So, um, so I, I hear you. Yeah, it's 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 a lot of, uh, of pressure, and but but it's great, and it's what we like to do. So now I met you through going to see a performance of of Leo Schwartz and DC Cathro's musical Pen. 
um, which is the story of two gay guys, uh, one who is in prison and one who is not, who are pen pals with each other. And uh, Leo is also my musical co-writer, and DC is, is a great friend of mine. And this was in the Chicago Musical Theater Festival. Yes. Uh, so talk a little bit more about that, please. Yeah. So because a lot of the staff members and ensemble members of, of Underscore got our start, in a festival environment, that's really where we learned some of our basic marketing skills and got a crash course in producing for a professional audience. We wanted to be able to offer that kind of experience to people because when you have a festival atmosphere, you open up opportunities for a greater number of people to get their work in front of an audience than you would if you just had a two or three main stage show season. So we do produce main stage shows. We tend to do two a year. And then we also have the Chicago Musical Theater Festival. <clears throat> we are going into our fourth festival. We actually have shifted production of the festival to February starting this year. Wow. Um, that will allow it to not overlap with Nymph, which we are finding the New York Musicals Festival, we there is some cross-pollination there. We want it to be feasible for shows to go to both if they are so selected. Um, but the festival has been a really great place for us to meet people who are in the musical theater community to try to foster some of that community building. So we always have rush passes so that everybody in shows can go see everybody else's shows. Um, we try to have events so that people can mingle and, and meet each other and start planning their next production or can come see each other's work and get excited about it. Um, we've produced five shows in the past three years of the Chicago Musical Theater Festival, and we're just looking to grow from there. So it's been a really exciting process. Uh, it's a lot of work. I'm not going to pretend that it's not, but, um, we have built the festival more on kind of a fringe scale and using a lot of fringe models just because it lowers a lot of the overhead to rent one theater, one venue. And we also find that having one venue and having shows rotate in and out of one venue requires a simplicity and kind of a, a bare bones attitude that we really think is conducive to theater, especially we don't want people spending $20,000 to put up a show in the Chicago musical theater festival. Usually that is going to fall on the writer or the producer. And it's difficult to make that back, especially in a storefront theater community. So really what we see the benefit of the festival is, is just to get your words and your music and bodies up on stage. That's the magic of theater, right? We don't need to have crazy sets and costumes. You're welcome to do whatever you can, but we encourage people to be able to set up and tear down in about 15 minutes to encourage. It's just a minimal set, a minimal setup, just really let the work speak for itself. And from there, if you can get people in the audience who are interested in potentially producing, you know, we hope that pieces will have a greater life and go on to higher and better production values. We've actually produced main stage versions of shows that have been in the festival before. So it is absolutely a place for underscore to start getting ideas of work that we would like to be more involved in, but it's really a jumping off point. 
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. That's, that's excellent. Um, I, I think that, that if the show is good, if it's well written, uh, if it has a good narrative, uh, it, it's going to do well whether it has a giant production or it, it's stripped down. As a matter of fact, you probably know this, but a lot of shows are, are coming to New York in a stripped-down format. Like recently, The Color Purple was out here. Uh, I know John Doyle is very, very big on stripping his shows down. Um, and uh, there's a production out here of The Glass Menagerie where, from what I understand, it's like a table. Um, wow. So it's, that's, you know, that's an excellent in, – in my opinion, I think that that would probably behoove you guys – as an excellent judge of whether or not the show is going to work ultimately. Yeah, you can dress up a lot of things with glitz and glamour and high-tech effects, and that's great. You know, spectacle is a part of theater, but I don't think that it's the heart of theater. So especially what we're looking for is craft and story and real experiences and emotion on stage and that can come across whether you're people wearing black standing on a stage that just has a full wash on it no up and down or if you are in the most razzle dazzle production of all time (laughs) yes indeed now you wear a lot of hats uh what do you consider to be your forte or your specialty So I identify primarily as an artist. I am a playwright and a librettist and lyricist. I also, when we got started, we did not really segment ourselves into solidly, all right, Laura, you're the librettist, Alex, you're the lyricist, David, you're the composer. Um, We had a more collaborative process in which I'm a classically trained singer and play a bit of guitar and a bit of piano. So I would collaborate with David on melodies, especially, um, and especially for women, because when he was getting started out, he was most comfortable composing in his own range because he would just sing along. And then he'd be like, oh, women can't sing that an octave up. And also this part that's down in the chest voice. (laughs) Um, So I got my start and um, I actually was an actress to begin with, which I think many people are. And I I still really love performing. I love the immediacy and the pure presence that comes from being on stage and telling a story. But over the years, I've gotten much more interested in telling stories too and structuring them um, and how to capture strong emotion through song, which is what I think one of the strengths of the musical theater genre is. Mm -hmm. Um, But at the same time, you need people who are detail-oriented and who have some business acumen to be able to tell those stories. So that's one of the other hats that I wear as executive director and board member for Underscore is overseeing the organization and administration of the company, doing the taxes, doing the contracts, doing the budgets, um, trying to figure out how we can make the most out of what we have and deliver shows that are as polished as possible, given the fact that we are a nonprofit, all volunteer staff. 
I feel like I should buy stock in Starbucks and Red Bull and Five Hour Energy drinks. Listening to your schedule, you're just yes. You're you're like the Energizer Bunny. You just you, does it seem like your days are eighteen hours long? I would do Diet Coke. Diet Coke would be where I would invest. <laughs> I have one open in front of me at the moment. <laughs> if if you had to gravitate towards one, like if you had to pick one of those, uh, one of those talents, which one would you focus on? Solely, I think I would focus on writing. Um, in the last year or so, we've had more opportunities come to us as a writing group. Uh, me and my collaborators, our artistic director, Alex Higginhauser, and our producing artistic director, David Kornfeld. We actually have a show going to Nymph this summer. It is called Numbers Nerds on an almost all-girls musical, and it's a commissioned piece. Um, there was a countrywide selection process and we ended up getting the commission and it's a piece about an almost all girls math team trying to go to the math championship that's got a lot of heart um small cast seven people all but one are women um that show is going to nymph and also has a large cast large ensemble version that is being produced by middle school this summer so We've got some exciting opportunities in a couple of different directions there. And then that same show that we produced on that Fringe tour, the 60-minute piece that was called Grind, which was about a coffee shop in Minneapolis and its regulars, we got a commission from a group up in Wilmette, one of the north suburbs of Chicago, Mm -hmm. to expand that piece to a full-length musical for their high school-age musical theater lab to take on as a performed reading and that is performing on Monday. So it's been really exhilarating to watch these kids interpret this show that we wrote seven years ago and had a chance to revisit just this year to more fully realize. And that is really what I find to be most satisfying at this point in my life is coming up with something, putting the words down on a page, working with my good friends and collaborators on that and then seeing somebody else take it and run with it and bring it somewhere that I could almost not have imagined. Wow. That has to be a, just a, 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 a terrific feeling. You guys are jamming big time. Wow. Yeah. It's, it's all happening <laughs> and it's all happening pretty fast. Oh, good, good. I'm, I'm so happy for you. Um, what messages and themes do you strive to convey to audiences through the pieces you choose to produce or write or whatever your hat you're wearing is involved with that particular element. For me, theater has always really been about empathy and the ability to experience something from somebody else's perspective. I think that that's one of the reasons that theater is so important is that it's a really immediate way to see things from a a point of view that you may not be familiar with mm-hmm. and in a way that does, encourages you not to check out a way that encourages you to be really present because it's happening now live in front of your face. And if you blink, you will miss it. You can't rewind you can't come back to it later on your laptop. You can, if you know, there's a bootleg YouTube of video of Hamilton or whatever that you found. Right. Um, but it's not the same. The, the magic of theater is its immediacy and the fact that, sound waves are coming and directly impacting your body. You know, the, the sound that is coming from stage is resonating in your rib cage is 
thickening your tongue when the actor singing to you is welling up with tears. You have this immediate physiological impact on yourself. And so the stories that I gravitate to are stories of real emotion and of real change in people, especially when it's coming from a point of view that is different from the one that I would normally consider to be mine. Oh, wow. That's very eloquently put. Thank you. I'm a writer. (laughs) (laughs) I can tell. (laughs) No, that's, that's lovely. That's exactly, that's exactly how, uh, put into words how people should feel when it's working up on the stage. Yeah, I had an acting coach when I was an apprentice at the Berkshire Theater Festival when I was in college, who was a Shakespearean actor. And actually, um, he was in the Chicago run of Dirty Dancing, the musical, which mm-hmm. tried to go to Broadway and didn't quite make it. Right. He, uh, he played camp director, and he was fantastic. But... Um, he talked a lot about the actual like, physiological impact of bodies on stage and people interacting in a room with an audience and the importance of, you know, it goes into the importance of voice work and relaxation and proper physical technique because when you are in a room with other people, the way that your voice resonates directly impacts their physiology and can have empathic mirroring responses to them. And so you can evoke emotions by properly experiencing them yourself with kind of a a properly prepared physical instrument. So I always think about that when I think about what makes theater special, because we live in a time where my artistic director and I will very openly say our competition is not another musical theater company in Chicago. Our competition is Netflix. Mm. So whatever we can do to highlight the unique experience of being in a room surrounded by other bodies with bodies on stage, telling you a story in real time. We want to highlight how important that is as a unique experience. You know, it's when you were talking about that, when you were giving your, your answer to that question, I was thinking every once in a while, I'll be sitting in an audience of a show and um, there'll be one person or two people up on stage and I'll just sort of turn around and look at the audience and I'll think, what is the chemistry that's going on here that has thousands of people in this theater absolutely focused on what this one person on stage is doing? And and it just, it blows my mind. I mean, I, I, I really don't know what that is. I think, I feel like when people are acting, they they sort of really need to be vibrating with energy when they're up on that stage to, to capture the attention. But, um, but yeah, every once in a while I'll be like, this is like a trip. If you really stand back and think about it, that all these people are like completely invested in this one person. Absolutely. (laughs) Um, what is your criterion at, at the underscore theater company for, for selecting your projects. Now, I know you talked about uh, empathy and, and the, the connective feeling that you have, have to it. Uh, do you have any other um, requirements? Yeah, we like to ask the question, why this story now? Mm-hmm. And it's something that playwrights and people who are selecting straight plays and drama ask a lot when programming their seasons. And it's always a little bit challenging when you're writing a show, especially if you're trying to capture some kind of zeitgeist or something that 
feels like it is very current and you're afraid like, what if by the time I write this, this is no longer relevant or what if this is no longer current, mm-hmm. um, with musicals, because the production process takes even longer. I think there can be even more of a fear there of, okay, well I'm writing this show about, let's say black lives matter. And what if by the time it gets out into the world, that's no longer a concern. Um, not to say that the shows that we select have to be politically or socially exactly of the moment, but what does this piece have to reflect or to tell or to inform the things that are happening right now in the world? And that can, and usually is much more thematic. Um, so a piece that is historical, but that has overtones of relevance now. For example, my collaborators wrote a show called Haymarket, the anarchist's songbook, which was about the Haymarket affair of 1886, which was the first real red scare in America. Mm. And uh, a fool's trial where a bunch of anarchists who were peaceful were hanged for the fact that somebody at an event that they had put together had thrown a bomb at policemen. Um, And even though it is a piece about events that took place more than a century ago, we produced it last year and there's a lot of resonance with today. There's a lot of things about income inequality and the struggle of trying to achieve a good life. There's an interracial relationship, which at the time was almost unthinkable. And even today we're seeing race continues to challenge America in really unfortunate and interesting ways. Um, So we ask why beyond just, oh, I think that this is a topic that will sell tickets. And you also have to look at the execution. There are ways, you know, there are stories that may be interesting from a why right now perspective, but if in the execution, they're not making the most of the themes that are going to be resonating, um, you have to reevaluate whether or not that's what you want to do. Right now we are producing a show that is going into tech on Monday called My Name is Annie King, and it is about a cult in the backwoods of Missouri. It's a bluegrass musical that is primarily women. I think it's six women and two men. Mm -hmm. Um, And A, that elevator pitch, man, you know, (laughs) you you say those things and you're like, yes, I want to see that. And it absolutely delivers on, on all of that. But B, it talks a lot about what happens when people feel lost in the modern society and culture. You know, these are a bunch of women who were really vulnerable, were really lost in their lives. And this charismatic guy comes along who seems to provide answers and meaning. And we'd like to think in the wake of Jonestown and a lot of other situations that ended very poorly that we're savvier than that. But the need for human connection and for purpose and meaning, especially right now when lots of people are feeling lost, lots of people are really scared about what's happening in the country and in the world. Um, I think that it continues to be incredibly relevant. So that's one of the reasons that we chose that piece. Mm, Okay. Um, You're talking about a lot of, of different themes in your answers and that's terrific. Um, 
what do you think is an important direction theater is taking right now? Not just with theme, but physicality of theater or um, uh, something that you're noticing is, is really prevalent. So I think it goes back to talking a little bit about how our, the importance of theater as, as a physical and a one-time, you know, immediate event. Mm-hmm. I think that a lot of shows, one of the great examples would be The Great Comet, where it is becoming almost an event, um, really playing with different ways of telling story in a way that would be very, very difficult to reproduce in television or film. Because television and film are are booming right now, especially television, um, with the Netflixes and the Amazon Primes and all the different bypassing of the traditional channels for television. We're in a really great time for television writing, and that's awesome. I I love a good show. I love a good binge watch. But in terms of theater, I really think that theater goes back to telling stories around a fireplace and being in the same place as other people. And I think that what we're seeing with some of these stripped-down productions and with productions that are trying to tell stories in different ways and in ways that you couldn't just sit and passively consume on your couch from from a filmed perspective, Mm -hmm. I think that is the way that theater is going and the thing that will help us survive as an art form. Mm. Um, From the stripped down productions to the immersive kind of almost like being in a nightclub or a dinner cafe feeling of great comment, which they have done a really good job of translating to a larger venue um, than when they were at Ars Nova to things like sleep no more, which is no longer a new type of theater, but really still is incredibly innovative and immersive for people. We're seeing people want to have experiences. We're seeing people want to do things like go to escape rooms or to interact with theater in some kind of way to not just be passive observers. And I think there are lots of different ways that you can do that. And I'm really interested to see how as live performers, we continue to capitalize on the fact that we are all in a room together. That's a, a great answer. And you mentioned uh, Natasha Pierre and the Great Comet, which is a great show. I myself have only seen it in its uh, Broadway incarnation, but I've seen it three times and I loved it. You've also mentioned A Sleep No More, which both of those shows are out here in New York. Is there anything in any show in Chicago that you're, you have seen that's sort of exemplifying that new direction of theater? There are some companies that are doing work like this. Um, There's some companies that are doing really site-specific work. Mm -hmm. Recently, I've been seeing a lot of theater that's happening down in Wicker Park, which is kind of a hipster neighborhood, and things that are happening in a person's attic, in a person's living room. Wow. Um, Really intimate, really reminding you that you are among other people, just like you, who are just trying to tell a story for the evening. And then there are also companies like Teo Ubique here, which actually operates their own dinner theater where the actors serve you food and they are really close to you. Like the stage is about 10 feet away and sometimes they come in around the tables. I saw a production of Rent there, I think last fall, that I started crying probably during the second number and just didn't really stop for the rest of it. (laughs) Because they were so close. 
they were these people and their lives and their problems and their struggles were so close to me and the music was so close um it was so immersive that that emotional immediacy was present from almost the drop of the hat and you know it's a piece that i've known for quite some time that i have personal resonances with um going back to high school so i'm sure there were a lot of factors that work there (laughs) but i do think that there are lots of companies that are experimenting with different ways and then there are companies that are also trying to provide experiences for people who are differently abled Mm -hmm. there's a big movement here for walkthroughs for blind audiences so before a production will they'll do a walkthrough of the set with the blind audience members and describe and let them touch and feel the way that things are laid out so that when they actually are attending the show, they have a better sense of what's happening. Um, I know people who are trying to have productions and performances that are more accessible for people on the autism spectrum that would be less overwhelming from uh, kind of flashing lights and too many things going on at once perspective. Sensory, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's definitely something that is being thought of here. We don't really have our a sleep no more that I that I'm aware of. If anybody knows one in Chicago, please let me know. I will go tomorrow. <laughs> but um, I do see trends in that direction. Yeah, I recall that uh, production of Rent in Chicago. I remember that I, I go to Chicago a lot to work with Leo and. I remember trying to get tickets for it, and it was always sold out. But it looked like you actually yeah. you actually felt like you were in the Life Cafe with them. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, La Vie Boheme. It was like, oh, that's that rowdy table <laughs> 15 feet away from me. Yeah, I, I too, am a major redhead. I love that show. It's, it's one of my yeah. favorites. I can listen to that on loop. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane. So shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Um, What do you think is the best part of being involved in smaller productions? I think you find that theater is a small world and being in a smaller production, you can really form a sense of family. Um, We are incredibly close to actors who have been in shows with us all the way. And also there is a level of collaboration that goes on where things are not as strictly segmented between, well, I'm the director, so everything that has to do with staging comes from me. Um, That ability to work closely together and to develop intimate relations and and vocabularies of not only connecting to each other, but also movement. um, I think that that, along with the intimacy of performing in a smaller space, usually for a smaller audience, can give you a sense of an art form that is not just one meant for show, not just something where you get up on a proscenium, the lights go on, they're so bright that you can't see anybody in the 
150 person audience, you finish your show and you leave. Right. Storefront theater is much more immediate than that because usually you're right up against the people you're performing for. There's no way you're going to forget that they're there and you're relating to the other people on stage in an intimate way too, because you have less space to maneuver in. I think it, the size really lends itself to intimacy. Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm re- repeating intimacy a lot. So that that's what I'm summing it all up. Well, well that's, and that's, that's right. I mean, it, it is, it's an intimate connection. Um, they're, they're right there in front of you and you're seeing their response as an actor, there's no orchestra pit between the two of you. There's no, there isn't, exactly. you know, 120 lights blinding you so that you can't see out there. If they're excited, you see it. If they're crying, you see it. If they're sleeping, you see it. I mean, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And yeah. that has a direct impact on how you relate to them as a performer. Oh, sure. Absolutely. Um, what do you think every theatrical artist, uh, artistic director, writer, composer, actor, should be doing right now to be relevant and successful in the industry? I think going to see other work is always really important to know what's going on around you, meeting other people, just having conversations with artists in not only the theatrical disciplines, but in, you know, go talk to a painter, go talk to a sculptor or a dancer. I think that interdisciplinary art is really fascinating and a lot of really rich art comes from the slamming together of types of art that you wouldn't normally associate with each other. I have a friend who has been working on a piece about, um, Oh gosh, what is the artist's name? The famous painting is the kiss and it's completely left my mind, but, um, really exploring the ways in which painting and musical theater can come together. You know, we see that in um, Sunday in the Park with George as well, Mm -hmm. how to describe a more visual physical art through a more sonic art form or a a narrative form. Um, I also think just staying informed and staying aware of the things that are happening in the world to allow yourself to, be relevant in the work that you produce, even if the work that you produce is not directly about politics or the things that are happening in this place and time. I'm a huge believer that genre work, horror, science fiction, fantasy, magical realism can sometimes be more impactful from a social or political point of view because you can really lean into metaphor in a way that clarifies things and that dramatizes and makes interesting issues that we are dealing with. Um, This isn't a film, but seeing the movie Get Out was something that really wonderfully contextualized the implicit violence and horror of even well-meaning white liberal racism. Um, So I think that being aware of the things happening in the world is always an artist's job and prerogative. You don't need to directly go out and make art that is about the Trump administration, but maybe you'll find yourself coming to grips with themes of authoritarianism in another place, time, universe, 
what have you that when staged will speak to people in this place and time who are dealing with the things that are happening in this country. Oh, sure. I, I love the phrase uh, interdisciplinary art. I'd never heard that before. Oh yeah. It's very big. Um, and often you'll hear that when it's like a theater piece that has video or a theater piece that has performance art components or that has modern dance that is interpretive within it. Um, there are lots of ways to have art that is directly interdisciplinary play itself out. But I think also just in terms of thinking as artists and of cross pollinating ideas, because in a world where there is nothing new under the sun, as they wrote in the Bible thousands of years ago, um, which is only more true now, the really interesting stories are the ones that approach things from just a different angle Mm. and different art forms can sometimes allow you to see things through that new lens that will make things more clear for you. Oh yeah, absolutely. And, and that's sort of also when everybody goes, wow, wow, different. I, I want to see that. This is something I haven't seen before and, and excites an audience as well. Definitely. I mean, we're seeing now Hamilton is kind of old news, but talking through a lens of hip hop and telling a story of the founding fathers seems like such a crazy juxtaposition. And then when you see it done and executed well, and you realize, Oh my gosh, like he's totally right. These guys were all immigrants. They were all scrappy. They were all ambitious and power hungry and then beefing with each other. Of course, this is a hip hop story. Um, that can really open up people's ways of thinking and can directly make things relevant Um, I think there are a lot of young people who realized that American history is not this petrified thing that was inevitable, that um, these gods among men came down and made this thing the way that it had to have been. No, they were a bunch of people with flaws who were fighting among each other, and we are making history today that people will look back on in 200 years and say, oh, those people... You know, it, it had to have gone down that way when we know that, no, it took a lot of work and fighting to get to where we are trying to get. Yeah, it, it, history has a tendency to get very diluted. Yes. <laughs> and, and, and shifted around and, and, and glorified. And, and so I, I completely agree with you on that. Now, before I have you give out your information, can you do a speed round of questions with me? Since it's your Absolutely. Okay. <laughs> What's your favorite play? Oh, God, that's so hard. Um, I saw a play here in Chicago called The Apologies. So, gosh, short title is Dr. Faust. It's by Mikkel Maher. Um, Apologies for the Course of Events of an Evening by Dr. John Faustus, something, something, something. It's a two-man play about John Faustus on his last day of earth mephistopheles the devil is a character who does not speak in the play and seeing it completely like changed my life so that's the one that i think of oh cool favorite musical it's gotta be les mis i would love for it to be something smarter than les mis but it is les mis i i know every song <laughs> i love les mis don't don't tell leo that's not his favorite musical by yeah. any stretch <laughs> uh favorite writer as a fiction writer, Neil Gaiman, as a playwright, oh, that's hard too. Um, 
I think, I mean, Stephen Sondheim and uh, work, especially like Sweeney Todd, just mm. blows my brain out all the time. Cool. Um, favorite director? That's a hard one because I think so much more in terms of writers than of directors. I don't know that I have one. You can pass. I'll say you. Alex Higginhauser because he's my best friend and the artistic <laughs> director of my company. <laughs> That's a very, very good, smart answer. I'll make him <laughs> listen to this soon. And do you have a mentor? I, I kind of do. Um, I am good friends with a woman, Sherry Coons, who is the regional director of the Dramatist Guild here in Chicago. Mm -hmm. And I've taken classes with her. I work with her at Story Catchers, which um, works in juvenile detention centers to take stories that young people have written and turn them into musicals for them to perform for their communities. Um, and I am in a writing group with her where we give other feedback. But she has been a wonderful inspiration to me and a great force for good in my own life. That's, that's terrific. Um, now you've talked a lot about what you've been working on lately. Go ahead and encapsulate it just one more time. So our audience can, can look it all up. So underscore is producing. My name is Annie King starting April 25th, running through May 28th at the pride arts center here in Chicago. Um, we, as a writing group, um, Alex Higginhauser, David Kornfeld, and myself have a play called Numbers Nerds, a musical called Numbers Nerds going up at Nymph. I believe it's July 11th through 19th. I have a show called Grounds, which is performing this Monday for free, April 17th. I'm sure that by the time this is up, this will be over. Uh -huh. um, but I am also just in the very beginning stages of thinking about a show um, called The Bone Harp, which I just wrote a murder ballad for about a harp made of human bone that sings the story of its murderer when played. Oh my God. That's great. Yeah. I'm excited about it. <laughs> That's very cool. Um, okay. Give our audience all your social media information, please. All right. I'm on Twitter at, at Laura Stratford. I'm on Instagram. I think the same. It might be LC Stratford. Uh, and then I'm on Facebook and I usually will only add people that I actually know. So follow me on Twitter. I mostly just talk about weird jokes that I've come up with that day. <laughs> is, is there one particular site that people can go to where they can catch all of that? I always ask this question. Probably Twitter. Okay. Um, and then underscore underscore theater.org theater with an R E mm -hmm. and you can find our, social media there as well. Okay, cool. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for being my guest today, Laura. You were amazing. Thank you so much for having me and for making me think about these things because <laughs> articulating them is really helpful in crystallizing why I do what I do and what I do as an artist. Yeah. If you're like me, it's always just up there stewing around in your brain 24-7. Absolutely. <laughs> Will you come back and be a guest again? I would love to. Oh, good, good. That's that's amazing. Well, again, thank you, Laura. Uh, you've been wonderful, and we appreciate you being on the show. Um, Thanks so much, Sean. Oh, my pleasure. At the end of the show, I like to give shout-outs to current productions that I recommend. And on tonight's show, I'd like to recommend a show at New York's West Side Theater. It's called Cagney the Musical. And it's the story of James Cagney, the, the actor, start and rise in, Hollywood, in the Hollywood movie musical industry. 
Now, he started as a dancer in stage musicals, and then he moved on to movie musicals. I don't know if they covered this in the in the show, because I saw it a long time ago, but he actually started in a show where he dressed in drag as a woman and danced. So that's that was an interesting uh, thing that I learned about him while I was researching. Um, he eventually went on to win an Oscar for Yankee Doodle Dandy in 1942. Uh, now, he shifted back and forth uh, in the studio system between Warner Brothers doing contract work and then being an independent agent. And uh, more than once, he walked away from what he considered to be unfair contracts at Warner Brothers, and he was always welcomed back, which didn't always happen back then. Um, and it was usually over demanding better pay for the actors against the massive studio profits. Um, he was a, um, a, a constant advocate for actors. He helped form the Screen Actors Guild in 1933. Uh, the show also portrays the relationship with his wife, Frances Willard Billy, that was her, that's what they called her, Cagney. Uh, they met in the course of a show called Pitter Patter in 1920. How cute. Um, and then married in 1922 until his death in 1986. Now, again, this is a stage musical. I know I'm, I'm talking a lot about film here, but um, that's what the musical's about. Um, I saw this show last year, and I found it to be delightful. Um, the reason why I'm bringing it up now is because I found out that it was closing on May 28th after a really long and successful run. It's been running for a couple of years. Now, I'm not one to analyze dancing in a show. That's typically not my first priority when I see a show, but... I have to say that I was really extremely impressed with the dancing in Cagney. Um, it's really well choreographed, and the stage is pretty small. And the incredible energetic cast, who often play multiple roles, make it look super easy, which to me is one of the things that, that is, means the dancing is really good. It looks easy. I know I couldn't do it. Um, the actor playing James Cagney is named Robert Creighton. And uh, this guy, he is sensational in the part, but he's also like a dead ringer for James Cagney. Um, the phrase born to play this role comes to mind because he looks like him. He sounds like him. He's his height. I mean, it's totally uncanny. Now this show satisfies uh, the three E's for me. It entertains through song and dance. Uh, I was always entertained. I was always engaged. Um, it educates, uh, it talks about his life. Um, I think that the characters that he portrayed, mostly on screen, weren't necessarily how he was off screen. It also was a, a bit of an education on the studio system and politics back then, and it edifies. It was a nice underdog story um, that talked about the value of hard work and sticking to your ethics. So I'm, I'm going to recommend this on the show. I hope everyone goes and sees it. Again, it's Cagney the Musical. It's playing at the Westside Theater in New York City. It closes on May 28th. Now, it's five or six weeks, but it's, it's pretty popular. Um, it, it does just be cautious. It, it does have sort of, have sort of a funky matinee heavy schedule. I think it does like four matinees and four evenings. Um, why that is, I don't know, but just, you know, I, as somebody who has more than once like booked a show for the wrong day, because I'm not paying attention, just be cautious of that. Uh, tickets and information are at www.cagneythemusical.com. Uh, again, go see it. It's, it's, it's really delightful. Well, folks, the proverbial 11 o'clock number has been sung and the bows have been taken, so it is time to lower the curtain. I'd like to thank my guest, the fabulously sensational Laura Stratford. She was just delightful and so smart. Love it. Um, if you'd like me to give a shout-out to a show in your area or a mention of your organization, please go to my Facebook page at um, facebook.com 
backslash your program is your ticket. Give me a like and shoot me a message and I'll be happy to give you the mention. Folks, take a little time to see a show this week and don't forget to give a smaller show some love. There's a lot of great theater gems out there. Until our next show, good night, theater people and curtain. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, over limited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.